Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I am joined by my sister, Kay. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. We have just finished watching the extended version on DVD of the 2005 Fantastic Four film. Now, we've already watched the 2015 theatrical movie. Yes. In the theaters and such, which is part of why we decided to go watch this. I hadn't watched it since uh, since I saw it in the theaters. I'd never seen it. Uh, well, I had to open up the DVD, you know. Yeah. Um, and this one had spoiler-filled discussion, first off. So of both movies. Of both movies, uh, and maybe whatever I can remember, either of the sequel to this one or the Roger Corman one or anything else that comes to mind. Yeah, so pretty much. Spoiler-filled discussion, lots of spoilers, not just on this movie. This one predates uh, Iron Man, which kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that was what I was trying to remember, um, and specifically I was trying to remember how it was in comparison to uh, Hugh Jackman getting Wolverine. That happened around 2000, and when I was going through IMDb uh, last night before we watched this tonight, um, he was one of the people that it mentioned saying he was up for the role of Reed Richards. Interesting. There were quite a few people that were up for various roles here Mm. and there and stuff. That was one of the few that stuck in my mind and in fact he has a you know, very vague you know they're both brunettes etc he has a similar look to Yon Gruffid, who did get the role and who was just in forever forever this tv series uh, either this season or last last just finished season just finished season and a show that i do recommend watching in terms of i thought it was a well done uh light show yeah he plays uh, essentially an immortal uh uh medical examiner mm-hmm and he does a great job there. He does an excellent job here. I thought yeah. he fit as Reed Richards. Uh, Michael Chiklis uh, plays Ben Grimm, the thing. And I, you know, you commented during the film that you felt he was well cast based on your extensive knowledge of the character, and just based on my limited knowledge of the character and having only seen the character in this movie, the movie we saw in the theater, and then my limited interaction with the character really from uh, the animated. Shows, various cartoons and whatnot, yeah. You know, um, I thought he knocked it out of the park. Well, he's got that uh, kind of inner city New Yorker kind mm. of attitude and whatnot, or at least never being an inner city New Yorker myself, at least what I, as a, a West Coaster and now Texan, would, would imagine one to be. Well, he does a great job of the, I'm the brawn that has your back mm-hmm. for the brains, um, and I thought he did a really excellent job in scenes like on the bridge where the fiance puts the ring on the pavement and walks away and he can't even pick up the ring. He does such an excellent job of showing you the vulnerability of this seemingly invulnerable big guy. Well, and that's part of what's always been the fun about the thing as a character is he is the big rock solid member of the fantastic four kind of the backbone if you will in some respects but he's also kind of a big teddy bar teddy bear at times if you know what i mean mm-hmm. he, he's he's a nice guy 
Well, and because you go into this movie with some idea what's going to happen, you know he's going to become the thing, that kind of foreknowledge. Uh, when somebody asks him how he's doing, and he kind of pats his belly and goes, I'm solid. Yeah. You know, I liked aspects of that. Well, also, in the space station, uh, Victor Von Doom mentions that he does the heavy lifting for Reed. Yeah. You know, and earlier when they're going to, to Victor for funding, how Reed is always stretching for the stars. Yes, yes. So they, they do some of that stuff. And he's, again, he is able to play the the the, the tough guy, again, the 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 heart the the emotion and not just a uh, the antithesis of a bully oh definitely he's the only guy in a solid healthy seeming relationship at the beginning of the film and when they're in quarantine before they really know what's happened to them he's the one trying to get reed and sue back together yeah so he's, he's almost the mother hen of the group in some respects yeah I I felt he was very well written in this movie. Yeah, he's got a mature character. He's clearly got relationships with all the other three that predate the events of this movie, giving them all a backstory, a common backstory. And that was one of the first things that struck me when this movie started up, was that it was clearly taking place at least five to ten years later than the 2015 movie. These are older characters. They're well out of college. Um, I would say possibly 15 years to 20 years later. These guys could have easily been in their 40s. Whereas hmm. in the, uh, the the reboot movie in 2015, they're all college age at best. Maybe yeah. even just high school, you know. Yeah. So definitely later in life, which is fine. There's nothing right or wrong about either approach. Yeah, it just because I had the other one fresh in my mind. That was the first thing that hit me was these guys aren't being recruited into college. You know, um, Reed has filed for bankruptcy twice, mm -hmm. so he's well out of college. Uh, his relationship with Sue has already fallen apart versus in the 2015 movie, he's meeting her for the first time. Yes, for the most part in the 2015, they're all coming together here. They're coming back together having a past. Well, and because of that, having a past aspect... We didn't have the initial bickering on the way to coming together. That was the backstory. And I appreciated having that as a, we have to find out why they fell apart. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're coming together having fallen apart. And we need to assemble and... Well, it's not a story of Reed and Sue falling in love. It's, it's getting back together. Yeah. And Sue Storm was played by Jessica Alba, mm -hmm. who I thought did a very good job with this. Me too. I mean, she seemed a little bit younger than Reed and Ben, but that, that fits with the comics too. Well, and I think part of that was they decided after the accident to have Reed have gotten some uh, gray- The gray temples. Yeah. The yeah, on and the I, sides. I think that created a look of, he seemed to age five years in the accident. Even so, I still would have put him somewhere around 40. She seemed closer to, to 30, just the way she looked versus, you know. Yeah. But she looks more youth, youthful. I mean, she looks great now, too, I yes. think. Yes, So, there's some of that. But she played the role really well. A uh, smart character, caring, forceful. Mm -hmm. um, and a good dynamic with her brother. Yeah. Uh, Chris Evan played the Human Torch. 
He, of course, would later go on to play Captain America. And he does an excellent job here and an excellent job there. Yeah. But they're such different characters that when he was first cast as Captain America, I'm thinking, you know, Johnny Storm, Steve Rogers, both are, are white guys, blonde hair, roughly the same height, give or take. But personality-wise, build. I mean, Johnny Storm is a, a scrawnier kind of a guy. Not not uber thin or anything of the sort. But Captain America is a bit more football player-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, the super soldier or whatever. Well, and Johnny Storm is the light on your feet, fast guy, mm-hmm. is how he comes across to me. The goofball, the, uh, the practical joker, as we saw in the movie here, versus the almost Boy Scout, serious kind of a... Captain mm-hmm. America. And he, again, he plays both roles really well. He does. He he does the workouts and all that stuff to get into the shape for Captain America, which he didn't have to do as much or did in a different way here. Well, and he did the goofball and the practical joking stuff here really well. And I think actually one of my favorite scenes for him was the one in the bar where he had walked out on the team with the, I want to go be in the real world. Mm-hmm. And he was showing off in the bar, and I still think the sprinklers should have gone off. Yeah, when, he's, he's doing his flame stuff. Yeah, 20 feet into the air or whatever to the rafters, and sprinklers neglect to go off. But then he goes over thinking he's impressed some girl, and her boyfriend comes up. And to uh, you know show off in front of the boyfriend, he sets the boyfriend's alcohol on fire, and she calls him on it. Yeah, she's like, you know, you could have hurt somebody. If, you, if if she had had powers like that, she'd use them responsibly. Yeah, and... It was the wake-up call he needed. Yeah, and I thought he did that scene really well. Well, and it was, it was foreshadowed by just how much Sue had been calling Johnny out on these things. Well, and all through, both aspects of that were done really well, because I think sometimes it's easy to think a sibling is giving you grief over things because they're a sibling. But when a total stranger takes the time to call you on something. Yeah, yeah. So in that respect, I just thought it it was a great arc for the character to go through before the final epic fight scene. Well, I think they had quite a few good arcs, because he had that one. Reed and Sue had kind of their relationship arc. Mm-hmm. Ben had kind of the arc of accepting what happens to him. Yeah, and him with the sculptor. Yeah, uh, Alicia Masters, which is his girlfriend for a long time in the comics. And it was played by Carrie Washington, who's gone on to do Scandal. Yeah, and she did a great job with that. And uh, the scene that you said you thought was an extended edition scene versus a uh, theater scene where she's helping him. She's cleaning him up. Yeah. You know, and getting rid of the dust and all that stuff on the rock stuff. He's in this rock body. She's a sculptress or sculptor, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. She knows how to, to handle rock, stone, etc. Yeah, and she's she's helping to him to accept being different. And she's phrasing it in terms of it's not just that you're in a rock body. It's that you went to space. Yeah, it's she doesn't care what he looks like. Mm-hmm. She's blind, but she's aware. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was able to recreate him in sculpture. Yeah. Um, she cares what's inside the body. Yeah. Not the the facade that that she's not seeing, but is aware of. Yeah. Whereas Debbie, at the beginning, who he's in a relationship with, takes one look and essentially runs. Yeah. Even when she sees him performing heroic acts and saving lives. 
and sees people applauding him for that. She yeah. still runs. One of the things they did is they established that the um the the outfits they're wearing in the space station go through the same cosmic rays, all that kind of stuff, and therefore they can use their powers inside of those suits. Mm-hmm. And of course, they just happen to be blue. Have put a four on them, and boom, you're good. But I thought they were good looking suits. They were. They they worked well on the actors. They looked cool. Mm-hmm. They fit the story. It's not like oh geez, that's contrived. Yeah. Um, and even the way they introduced them was a good character moment between Reed and Sue and so forth. Yeah, I agree. So I thought that was something that they handled very well, whereas in the more recent film, uh, not so much. Yeah. It was funny, because they were both the origin story of the team, I expected more similarities. We got a couple similarities in some... Well, first off, this is telling a variation of the classic Fantastic Four origin. Okay. Whereas the newer film is telling the ultimate Fantastic Four origin from around 2000, 2005. Really, around the time this was being done. Okay. Which is kind of funny. But we did have the similarity in terms of they go, they encounter the radiation, they get transformed, they go to kind of a medical holding facility for a while. Mm -hmm. A couple of things happen that impact relationships move on. And in both cases, they experience the radiation off of Earth. Which is how it was done in the comics. In the comics, they basically steal a space shuttle or rocket or whatever to go into space, get bombarded, come down, because it was during the space race time. Got it. In um, this film, they go up to Victor's space station. The storm comes early. They don't get shielded properly, yada, yada. In the, the 2015 movie, again, they go to Essentially, it's the negative zone. They call it Planet Zero, but encounter radiation there. Well, and also, the other parallel here is in both this movie and the 2015, Doctor Doom is part of that incident. Yeah. He gets changed, and they wind up having to come together to fight him. I thought this movie did a better job explaining, or I understood better why each person had the powers they did. Mm-hmm. In terms of Doctor Doom was the one person in the shielded section. And his power is essentially getting something like the shielding imbued into him. Yeah. Um, Ben seemed to be hit by a meteorite at the last (laughs) second as he got thrown into Mm -hmm. the uh, station they were on. When we see Johnny getting hit by the radiation, there's a flame effect. Mm -hmm. We see Reed, there's kind of a stretching effect. Mm-hmm. When we see Sue, it's kind of a fade-in, fade-out kind of a deal. Yeah. So they set up, when they're getting hit by the radiation, the the seed of their power. Yeah. Well, and the first time any of them has, I almost want to say, like, a moment where they need some special or they wish they had something special about them. You know, Johnny is skiing and wishing that he was on fire and could win the race i didn't take it so much that it's just i guess some of it is a bit of an adrenaline kind of a thing he's going down the the mountain on the snowboard or whatever Mm -hmm. well but sue was wishing she was invisible you know reed was wishing he could catch something that was falling Well, he was just reaching out i don't think he was wishing to go further than normal it's just he didn't think about it yeah it's almost an instinctive yeah kind of a thing now, with the Fantastic Four, it's always been a bit of an elemental sort of a deal. Mm. Earth, you've got the thing. Uh, fire, you've got the Human Torch, obviously. Water, that's kind of sort of like reed stretching. And then air, kind of sort of like the Invisible Woman being 
invisible and mm. the force field and stuff like that. Interesting. So it's something I think people have more read into the material and 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 stretched a little where they needed to to make it fit. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of sort of there. Yeah. And it works. It comes out in the film. I think they sell the nature of the powers, the recovery, the, oh, they've changed. It, it's weird that they're back on Earth for a duration. So they get hit by the radiation. They get back to Earth. They're in this thing. And a day or two later, then they all start changing. Yeah. And it was never quite clear what triggered that. Yeah. Well, and like I said, that that was where the both the adrenaline and the seem to the they she wished she was invisible invisible. You know what I mean? There How about uh Ben? He was asleep and almost seemed to be having nightmares. Well he had gone to lie down because his stomach was bothering him. Yeah. So nothing there seemed to be a clear yeah. catalyst or, or trigger point. Yeah. Interesting. But we had a couple of scenes where each one got to kind of do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought they balanced moment in the spotlight for each one versus work as a team and the interaction and stuff. And a good balance between character moments, moving the plot forward, and action. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a reasonably well-balanced movie. Yeah. And again, I thought it had a really good cast. I thought the writing was pretty good. Uh, there were one or two places where eh, maybe they could have tightened it up or, or whatever, but nothing where it's like, geez, you've got to be kidding me. Well, there were a few things like when suddenly there was an army of people in Reed's little personal lab building all his equipment. There were a few times where even with the extended edition, I felt they neglected to tell part of the story. Yeah. Reed going from being broke to, okay, he can he can turn the lights back on. To suddenly he's got this fleet of scientists helping him build this. Yeah. Okay, that's a little bit odd. Or at the end when Doom has thrown Reed out the window, gone down, gotten him, and then he turns to look at something and, you know, next thing we know he's back at his his office. Yeah. Putting his mask on. Yeah, it was a very strange cut between him looking at his reflection in a puddle and him retrieving the mask. Out of a case he broke. It felt like almost a glance object cut. Yeah. You know, somebody's looking at something cut to he's, he's you know, what they're looking at kind of a deal. But it was also a scene transition or whatever. It just, yeah. it, it didn't work well. But it was one of the few that I felt that was the case on during the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm, I thought the mask was well done. I thought the look of Dr. Doom was good. But whenever you've got that kind of, of metallic mask... It blocks the lips. You can't really see the lips move. It it really, but you can still see the eyes and stuff. Mm. It puts the actor, I think, at a severe disadvantage. I felt the same way with the um the Green Goblin mask in the first mm. of the Spider Man films. I was thinking of a uh, Cobra and GI Joe. Okay, okay, I could see that too. Um, or even Bane in uh, the Batman films. You know, they're they're there on set physically doing the acting. But you, you've lost so much of the emotion, so much of the facial expression. Well, and in this case, the voice sounded so different that I actually wanted to go through the credits and see, is it the same actor voicing at this point? Well, it's one of those things where I was watching a, a, a Hallmark movie mm-hmm. last night. It was the uh, the Gourmet Detective, which we talked about. Uh, Dylan Neal, who was in uh, Legend of the Rangers, Babylon 5 thing, mm-hmm. was in it. Uh, and... There's this one scene where they're clearly on set talking, you know, and doing that stuff. Cut to they're walking down a ways and they're continuing to talk, but it was clearly looped in later, it felt like. Mm. 
And with Doctor Doom here, I didn't feel it was looped in later, but I felt like it may as well have been. Yeah. You know, because you don't see him conveying it. And I've got nothing against, if it's done well and done right, a character who, you know, like Ultron mm-hmm. in, in the uh, 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 Avengers Age of Ultron stuff. Clearly, that was kind of tossed in after the fact, if you will, the voice. It doesn't match the lips because he's got no lips. You know, so a CG film, uh, a CG character like that is fine. I watch Power Rangers all the time. Yeah. They're in full face helmets with no lips moving, no nothing. You can't see anything of the actor. That's fine. At that point, it's essentially voiceover work. Yeah. You get a really good actor who can do that fine. But if you've got somebody who's not doing the voiceover because they're there doing the acting, there's a point where it just, uh, it doesn't quite work. Yeah. And I think Dr. Doom is a character whose look works awesome in the comics. In live action, he's tough to pull off. Yeah. You know, because it's like, okay, you've got eyes shining through this, this you know, going through this this metal mask, and that's all I can see. It really robs the actor of, of, of a lot of the, the tools they need to do the acting or, or a lot of their options. Yeah. They can't really just do a wry glance or, you know, facial expression or whatever, because you can't see it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and I thought the actor they had, which was um, Julian McMahon. McMahon. Uh, Mc- he was in Nip Talk. He's been in a few other things. Yeah, McMahon. I, yeah, he did a great job, but it was one where I think for that role, particularly at the end when he's all in the the, the mask and stuff, you need somebody who is a bit more of a gifted uh, voiceover actor. Hmm. Um. And can do more of the acting with the voice than with the body. Yeah. And to me, that's a bit of a nitpick. He did a great job throughout the film uh, and did a fine job there. It's just I wanted more. I expected more. You know, it's, again, it's a tough costume and look to pull off. Yeah. And I thought they did a decent job. It's a shame that the film, it got a sequel, but that was about it. It's a good cast and I would have no objections to the side from Chris Evans being both Captain America mm. and Human Torch. Almost that cast being in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm. Obviously, that's not the direction they chose to go. Yeah. But they felt like the kinds of characters in, in the sort of setting and the way they were treated that could have easily met up with Iron Man with these other characters. Because mm-hmm. it was along those lines. Yeah. So I was I was pleased with that. Um I think they get a little more uh, space and out there. I don't want to say science fiction, a little science fantasy in the next film with the, this group. Interesting. They bring in Galactus and certainly the Silver Surfer. Hmm. So they get a little bit more CG type stuff there. Um, and obviously they had some, some CG stuff with the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. I really respect the fact they did physical effects for the thing. Agreed. Uh, Chiklis was in this huge suit full makeup etc as the thing and he sold it he looked really good yeah you know it was a, a well-done costume so my hats off to the the people who, who put that together mm-hmm. um that's that's a tough look i know why they i totally get why they did the cg stuff for the newer film but going more old school at this point well i think at that point they could have pulled off a computer generated thing they could have even done it with the motion capture stuff because this, I think, was around the time they did one of the Hulk movies that way. Yeah, uh, interesting. I think it was a smart move not to go that way. No, I think this really worked. Yeah. Yeah. 
And to me, it was interesting that in the 2015 movie, so much of it was about building the machine to get to go to the place where they got their powers. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one started with basically the sales pitch to get to go. And then most of the science, if you will, was building the machine to cure them of the powers. Well, it's funny because early on, it's it's let's get the, the go ahead from, from Victor. Let's get him to buy into this. Next thing we know, they've, they're they on the station. Yeah. And we just get kind of a, a, an establishing shot of them flying up. They've docked. They're walking on board. Well, that was quick. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, they've had the accident and stuff. And then everything's back on Earth and it's the repercussions. Well, in fact, at the 16-minute mark, it cut to black after the big kaboom, everybody's knocked out, etc. By 16 minutes, they told the origin, essentially. Not the full, yeah. but the origin had happened. If by 16 minutes in, when it cut to black, you could have assumed everybody was dead and the movie was over. I did. <laughs> I said as much. <laughs> they died. End of film. Roll credits. <laughs> In case anybody ever wondered what watching a movie with the two of us is like. In my mind, certain films end a lot sooner. <laughs> I just edit one minor thing. Oops, they couldn't launch the rocket in time. Krypton blows up. End of film. No Superman. <laughs> you know, you know, Bruce gets shot too. No Batman. End of film. Three minutes in. Little things like that. Yeah. But it's easy to do at times when certain films have just such ludicrous, wait a sec, what do you mean that happened? Why didn't so-and-so do the obvious thing? Yes. And I didn't feel, I mean, I didn't feel like that happened with the exception of inexplicably, Reed Richards, who does all this research and analysis before doing something, he's off by seven hours as to when this cosmic radiation is going to come in. Yeah. Has no real contingency plan for, well, what if something goes wrong? Well, or, we'll be in the shielding or we won't be. Or the timing is off by even one minute. Well, why didn't they check? Well, let's let's just double check where that radiation is before we send Ben out to do the spacewalk. Yeah. You know, little things like that. So there's a little bit there, but that's that's all in the premise and the origin. That's all the setup. Now, the flip side to all those comments, which I totally agree with, is... It was very defining for each character. They were acting in character. And I respect tremendously the whole Sue is with Victor in the shielded area and he's saying, we're just going to abandon Ben and we're going to put the shields up. And she runs out of the shielded area to oh, go yeah. help rescue Ben. It's defining moments for every character on the station. Absolutely. And so in that respect, while I, like I said, I agree with every comment you make. They should have checked before spacewalking, et cetera, et cetera. The situation shouldn't have happened. We learned a great deal about everybody by how they reacted to but the information. What did we learn about Reed? <laughs> Instead of telling his best friend, Ben, get in here now. He goes and rushes to go tell Victor and Sue in the shielded area first. Yeah. No, I'm wondering. Which goes towards his relationship towards Sue. Well, but did we learn something about Reed or did we learn something about the writers? Little of both. Yeah. I, I did like the look of the space station. I thought that was well designed. It looked cool. I like the look of uh, the Baxter building area that we see at the top with Reed's crew and stuff. Me too. I didn't understand why it was the Baxter building, but I liked the top tremendously. 
it's just where they had always been in the comic. It's just uh, presumably New York. They name all the buildings. I see. It's like the Empire State Building. Or like I the Kirby Gallery. I don't know who Baxter Gallery. was. Uh, the Kirby. Well, the Kirby Galleries, of course, because Stanley and Jack Kirby created the Fantastic Four. I thought that was a nice touch, though. I did, too. But it was one that as we would get establishing shots at the top of the Baxter Building, it was cool. It was unique. It, it was distinctive. Agreed. And when we got the inside, it's like, okay, we've got this two-story area to play with. We've got to walk around on top, a couple of things here and there. It's a set piece they could have and hopefully do continue to use in the other film. Mm-hmm. Whereas, well, it's kind of like the the equivalent of uh, the, the Avengers Tower stuff in the current cinematic it, stuff. It is, definitely. And Victor Von Doom happened to have a direct line of sight to it. That well, Not only did he have it from his office inexplicably he has cameras positioned inside the place i know that was really convenient that was another thing it's like you know a line or two dialogue to explain that would have been nice yeah it would not mandatory but nice yeah yeah but you know for reed it was really nice when he could look over Knowing that Ben had been de-thinged and see all those lights going crazy in his home and think to himself, hmm, I wonder if Ben is rethinking himself. Somebody has got to do a like a, a YouTube video type thing of what it would be like to live in the New York of the Marvel films. <laughs> Just imagine somebody's doing stuff. All of a sudden their reception's going out and they're looking over. It's like. What the hell kind of party's going over in the Baxter building? <laughs> they move a little while later. It's like, what the hell's going over in that tower over there with that big A on it, that Stark Tower thing, you know? Well, and I will ask again what I actually asked out loud during the movie, which is how does Ben know when he goes into the magic machine that he will become the thing again? It has a couple of buttons. D-thing, <laughs> re-thing. Okay. It's... What gets me is the way the, the the cure machine works, whatever you want to call it. It's got one little uh, pod that's doing the recreating the cosmic radiation stuff. Yes. Which it then is broadcasting into this big booth, that but has, inverting it. But it has undo it. doors with caution tapes that meet but don't perfectly seal. Kind of sort of like elevator doors in so much as you can still see the light through the crack through them. This is supposed to be radiation shielding, folks. Yeah, I don't want to be in the room. It's kind of like when they say if you aren't the one getting the CAT scan, don't be in the CAT scan room. That move me made me a believer of don't be in the CAT scan room. Do you really need glass on the doors on this thing? Yeah, you want to watch the de-thinging in progress. You, so you've got this one shielded area that's getting the cosmic radiation. You've got this other big booth that it's going in. And it's lighting up the entire top of the Baxter building. Mm -hmm. So light radiation is getting through. It makes you wonder what else is. And just for the record, that's it. Half power. Yes, because to get full power, you need to be Victor Von Doom amping it up manually. Mm -hmm. But it, So it's creating the cosmic radiation. It's inverting the signature to kind of cancel it out. Well, let's stop and think about this for a minute. You've run out of the four plants you had that got, got uh, impacted in the station. You've kept them. You've, you've tested them. Your tests have failed. You're out of things to test. Note to all scientists sending plants to the space station for testing. I recommend sending more than four. If you've got this machine, though, that can basically send the radiation through, because uh -huh. you've got the sample of the radiation, apparently you can recreate it perfectly. I know. Why couldn't you put other plants 
because I could see, okay, not doing mice, chimpanzees, whatever. That's just cruel. But plants apparently doesn't matter. Why not put another plant in there and 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 zap it and, and not- then unzap it? Oh, I see. Don't invert it, then reinvert it. Yeah. Oh, because reeds are really dumb genius. We obviously had, we had that line. We were of told that a couple of times by by mm-hmm. Sue Storm. Yeah, and she knows him well. Yeah, she also told him, you know, to find the lips instead of the nose. She was invisible. I did think the invisible effect with her w- was well done. I liked it. You know, it's one of those things where her clothes are still visible. She's not. And sometimes when that's done, it seems really cheesy. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, particularly if it's a physical effect or whatever. Well, and they frequently did a nice outline of just enough hints of where she is. To give you kind of guidelines. Um, I'm curious how they did it. I don't know if this has a behind the scenes on that or not. If so, I'd like to watch it. But clearly they did probably a computer controlled camera for any moving shots. Still shot. It's easy to leave the camera. They would do one shot that has just the background, one with her in it, and then do some computer stuff to mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. Was- These days, I would do it almost also with like a depth camera. Oh, Kind of like a connect. Mm-hmm. So you can get the, the, the three dimensionality of it. Mm-hmm. Which gives you a little bit more of a model to where you could do, again, the the, the silhouette type effect. Mm-hmm. But that silhouette effect is also kind of how she was often drawn in the comics. Mm-hmm. With almost a dotted line, kind of a, this is where she is. Because mm-hmm. drawing somebody who's invisible, if you don't draw them, it's like, well, you can't see them. Not much is my, happening. My favorite action figure is the invisible Harry Potter. They had one collection from DC Direct of the... Uh, Legion of Superheroes. Mm-hmm. It was 11 figures for 12 characters. Invisible Kid. Ah, there you go. I always thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. So I think this was a, a good film. Well done. Holds up 10 years later, I think, pretty well. I think so. And I liked the uh, four that Johnny put in the uh, sky at the end. Yeah, at the end, he flies off, does the flame effect for a big circle and a four. That, too, goes back to even the earliest of Fantastic Four comics where they had kind of a flare gun that would do that sort of a thing to alert the other people. Nice. I liked it. And even Sue kind of getting accosted by the people and running off. Not, I mean, there's a similar-ish scene. It plays out a little differently in the first Fantastic Four uh, yeah. comic. Um, it was interesting when she was going through the mail they were getting and the magazines they'd been on the cover of. Uh, Johnny had been on the cover of a sports-type magazine, I think it was. Uh, Reed had been on the cover of a science magazine. And Sue was on the cover of People. Yeah. That kind of annoyed me. But seeing her pick it up off the rack was kind of cool, too. It, It was, but that was the only cover she was on. And given how intelligent she is and that she was working for Victor Von Doom at the beginning. Well, and her role there was what? Director of Operations? I mean, she was high ranking yeah. on a multinational, incredibly, you know, big company. Yeah. Uh, so to be treated just as essentially a... a, a Kardashian? Uh, I was going to say a Kardashian, a celebrity du jour. Yeah. Somebody famous for being famous. It's like, no, that that that's not quite right. It could have just as well been an entrepreneur kind of a magazine or an ink or, you know, yeah, something th- in the corporate space. I think one of those would have been more appropriate. So that just kind of got me. Certainly opportunities for a little improvement here and there, but nothing that was a fatal flaw or anything of the sort. It stood up really well to me. 
No, I, I would agree with that. Uh, again, I thought top-notch cast. That helped a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, good stuff to work with. Um, it gave a good reason for why the four came, stayed together, why they were together, mm-hmm. why they fought Victor, how they fought Victor. Yeah. And it was one of those where Reed being the super smart guy and stuff and doing a little coaching of, okay, Johnny do this, Sue do this, okay, mm-hmm. let's cool them off or whatever, and then, you know. Well, and what I really liked there was that he specifically told Johnny to do something he had told Johnny to never do. Mm-hmm. And Johnny looked at him with a, wait a sec. <laughs> well, but also when Sue was, was doing the force field around the supernova, the the blood trickling out yeah. the nose, it's like, okay, this is putting a strain on her. Yeah. They sell that kind of stuff pretty well. Yeah. But, you know, Johnny taking the time to check, mm-hmm. you know. Are you sure I should do something that could destroy you said the this earth? This is bad. Now you're saying do it. Want to make sure I'm hearing. Yeah. You know, and Sue doing something that's going to max her out, you know. And, Meanwhile, uh, Ben's just standing there. Well, Reed, but he's coordinating everything. He's watching everything and he's cueing each person when to do what. I, it played right, well, if that what, makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I loved about this is it was a coordination of the four acting as a team. With him clearly as the leader. Whereas in the 2015 movie, they had set up Sue as the one who's the the pattern matching, the predictability, you know, the planner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel that they acted in a manner that really needed all four of them in, in kind of an orchestrated manner the way we got here. Yeah. So I thought that fight at the end and that, that end of that fight specifically yeah. uh, played really well. And got to kind of what makes the Fantastic Four fun and unique. They're a family. They know each other. They trust each other. They work well together. Each has their slot in the team. Mm-hmm. And it's not Reed bossing them around. Yeah. You know, it's he's telling them what to do. And they trust him. They know he's got a, a game plan. Yeah. Well, to me, Johnny checking with him was Johnny having matured. Yes. It showed the growth. Yeah. You know, so to me, that was a very nice progression for him. I liked the way the thing took the top off of the fire hydrant and aimed the water at Reed. And he kind of... And Reed then arced it to where it needed to be and directed it, giving Reed something to do than just shouting orders. Yeah. And then when it was done, Ben closes off the thing. Yeah. That was very nice. I mean, it was was a good use of of all four people. It gave them all a... A moment and a role and an importance in that fight. Yeah. And not just, hey, let's punch somebody. Or, yes. you know, f- throw a fireball at them or something. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, that's part of what the what I liked about the writing is, is the characters got their moment. There was a good end note for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It also was calling back to the way Victor had gone after each of the four. Mm-hmm. You know, Johnny saying, hey, you missed me with the heat-seeking missile. Um and it really, Doom's downfall was the way he tried to take out Reed. It yes. essentially gave Reed the idea of this is what to go do. Yeah. Over, you know, uh, overheat him and then super cool him. Yeah. Um. So it all kind of called back in a good way and not a, okay, well, you telegraphed this or, geez, that's ridiculous or contrived or forced mm-hmm. or anything of the sort. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a lot of things that could have come across as fairly forced. Mm-hmm. But they executed them smoothly, and they, to me, they played well. Yeah. 
Well, and right before or maybe leading into that final fight, when uh, the thing gets thrown onto the top of a car and into the windshield, and there are the two ladies screaming, I love that even in that situation, the thing has really good manners. Yeah. Hey, could just slow down, pull over, maybe hit the brakes or something, you know. You know, he's so apologetic, you and know. I'm going to need to borrow your car. Yeah. That's one of the things I always loved when I first got seriously into comics about the thing is he's kind of the everyman. He's not this god among men or even this monster or anything. He's a regular guy. And yeah. He's this crazy physique. Um and doesn't want to be treated special, just a regular Joe or whatever. And treats everybody else well. Yeah. He was a really nice character. Well, all of these, for the most part, are, uh, of the Fantastic Four ones, go on and having dinner and drinks with or whatever. Yeah. They'd be fun to hang out with. Yeah. Uh, Johnny maybe a little less so than the other three. <laughs> yeah. But uh, well, it was fun. I guess the question is, uh, of this one and the 2015 movie, which did you enjoy more? I thought... The, the the 2015 had some really good effects, some mm-hmm. good character moments. It was a decent adaptation of the ultimate stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one or two of the uh, the people in there, uh, I think, may have actually done a better job. I'm thinking Kate Mara as the Invisible Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica Alba did a great job, but if you were to take that uh, uh, Sue Storm dropper into here, would have worked too. Again, a little young compared to the others, but I would say this is the better film. Because I think characters all have story arcs. There are one or two things that we mentioned that were a little inexplicable about wait, what happened here. Mm-hmm. But not to the point of, well, what's Reed been doing for a year? Or yes. uh, some some just what I felt were some major gaps and contrivances mm-hmm. in the, the more recent film. And, you know, why Victor was doing what Victor did in the, the, the 2015 movie. At times, just I couldn't figure out the character logic. Mm. Here things held together yeah here they took the time to have i guess it was a board of investors that Mm -hmm. he kept reporting to because he had been counting on taking his company public and the stock price doubling based on the trip to space and reed's stuff coming through well reed's stuff tanking basically cratered the value of the company and it put a guy who was in really good financial shape it basically bankrupted him yeah yeah so, in terms of establishing Victor Doom, yeah. Victor Von, Von Doom. Doom. Yeah. It, uh, from the start, his character was very clear in his motives. And then because he kept going back to that board of investors periodically, we knew where his thinking was. And we didn't really get that in the current movie. In the current movie, all we got is that he was very much interested in Sue. Yeah. And that's about it. You know, I think, again, the, the current movie had its moments. It was not a bad film. I think this was the better film with overall a better cast. Um, all four of the leads, I thought, are, are very talented. They've done many other things. Um, even uh, uh, the guy who played Doom has been the lead of a TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one who played Alicia, she's currently the lead of a TV series. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've got people who are proven commodities. Yeah. They fit the characters well. They're well used. You know, they seem comfortable with it. And younger characters meant younger actors for the current film. All of them, I think, did a good job. But I think the direction and the writing and the concept 
behind this film from 2005 was just stronger and more cohesive. Christopher Columbus, uh, director of this one, knows what he's doing. Yeah. You know, they went in with a game plan that was respectful but updating the origin of the fantastic, the original Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom. They didn't make any excuses for, oh, well, they've got powers, they've got costumes. Uh, it's like, okay, own it. Yeah. They did. They yeah. sold the various parts of the concept. They yeah. executed on the story well. Mm-hmm. Whereas there were just a couple of parts, quite a few parts with the more recent film that it's like, okay, Doom wants to get off this planet zero, but it's his planet. He wants to go back to it. It's just, I couldn't tell yeah. where he was going. Mm-hmm. It, that, the more, the, the more recent film felt more like a sci-fi horror of the week kind of a film, like The Fly or something. Okay. Ooh, it's a, a science experiment gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. This has that aspect, but it's also more of a standard superhero film. Yeah. Well, and this definitely has the characters ending very much in a, and we we recognize the value of helping people. They end on a celebratory note with the Fantastic Four being well-respected by the public. Yeah. Not inexplicably given this military, former military lab or something. Yeah. Well, the way they're surrounded by the people having seemingly defeated Dr. Doom and having each of them at some point talked about the have you considered helping people, et cetera, et cetera, it makes sense that they will go on to fight crime. Particularly at the end of, well, this is our job, we're heroes, we've got the suits. Yeah. That's as much of an acknowledgement of we're going to be superheroes, super adventurers, whatever. Yeah. Whereas I think they tried to set up a little bit more or set certain expectations or whatever in the the 2015 movie just by telling us. Yeah. Versus here I felt they showed us. Yeah. So to me this was a, a better story, more successfully executed. When I think with this one, what left me on such a good feeling at the end was they all seemed comfortable and happy in their skin mm-hmm. and with a good future ahead of them. Well, and again, I think that was a lot of Ben's arc. Yeah. Because Johnny accepted being the, the the Human Torch instantly. True, true. Um, Johnny going around with that pink jacket around his waist uh, early after on. After the snowboarding, yeah. Yes. That was fun. That, it was that, just hilarious. It's well, And doing the snapping to get the flame stuff, he's just already enjoying it. Yes, yeah. But Johnny going from simply, it's a bar trick I can enjoy, to realizing it can be something he can use to help others and in a positive way. It can be something meaningful. Yes. I don't think he even fully appreciated it when, because he's basically made of flame, he could shelter that child from a wall of flames. It showed that he had a heroic nature, but... It still meant nothing to him at yeah. that point. It, it was the right thing to do. He did it okay. You know, Maybe that gets him to girls, maybe it doesn't, but... Mm-hmm. But at that point, it was still meaningless. Yeah. It, it's not something he would even think about later, much, like, much less look back on and say, wow, I, you know, I did the right thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he wanted the celebrity. He didn't want to be the hero. Mm-hmm. And by the end, he realizes, no, no, we're helping people being the heroes the right thing. Yeah. So I thought it was fun. Uh, the extended versions, what, an hour or two, two uh, hours? Two uh, two fifteen. It was uh, 135 minutes. 135 or 125, one 125, of the two. One of the two. So about that. Um, yeah. 
fun film, well worth watching. Um, yeah, definitely worth watching, especially if you've just seen the current one, because to me, they were very different origins and quite frankly, felt like very different stories. Very different stories, but there are some high level parallels between the two, yeah. you know, and that's that, to me, that's kind of what's fun. Yeah, agreed. It by no means did it feel like a rerun. It felt like a 100% different movie. And that's why I enjoyed it, even though I've so recently seen the current one. What's funny to me about that is I think it would be possible to write a back-of-the-box blurb that could describe both movies. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because they've got the same characters, etc. So. Well, and even the same basic plot. Have the origin fight Doctor Doom. Yeah, but they get the powers from different places. Chalk it up as a science experiment going awry. Yeah, okay, yeah. If you go high level enough, you can exactly. do it. Yeah. You gloss over a couple of the details here yeah, and there. I agree. So, are you interested in watching the follow-up film to this uh, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer? Yeah. All right, we may do that at some point. We've got obviously tons of other things on our uh, list of what to watch, what to record about. But Sad but true. I'm curious about the other one too. I've seen it, it's just been... Probably since it was in the theater. Yeah, I haven't even seen it. So at some point we'll watch that. That may yeah. be next up, may not be. We'll figure it out. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? That does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.